Hello and welcome to Talking Tourism, the podcast series especially for tourism operators and industry professionals. I'm Alex Herowar and I'll be your host for today's episode. Talking Tourism is an initiative of the Tourism Industry Council Tasmania. TICT is the peak industry body for the tourism industry in our beautiful state of Tasmania. If you're a regular listener to Talking Tourism, welcome back. If you're a first-time listener and enjoy today's episode, remember there are now more than 100 episodes of Talking Tourism Conversations available from wherever you access your podcasts. Or you can simply stream them on the TRCT website at trct.com.au. We are recording this podcast today on the lands of the Palawa and Pakana, and TICT and I offer our respect to the Tasmanian Aboriginal people, their elders, past and present, for their enduring care and management of these islands. Today's episode is brought to you by our partner Tourism Australia. Tourism Australia is the Australian government agency responsible for attracting international visitors to Australia, both for leisure and business events. The organisation is active in 15 key markets and activities including advertising, PR and media programmes, trade shows and industry programmes, consumer promotions, online communications and consumer research. Thanks to Tourism Australia for their generous support of TICT and for helping to make this episode of Talking Tourism possible. Now, let's get into today's conversation. Rob Duggan, Executive General Manager, Strategy and Research at Tourism Australia. In his role with TA, Rob is tasked with setting the organisation's objectives, devising strategies to help achieve them, and ensuring that Tourism Australia and the tourism industry have the right data to make those decisions and understand their impacts. Welcome, Rob, to Talking Tourism. Thanks very much, Alex. So we'll dig into your role first of all, Rob. Um, Your role with Tourism Australia is largely about monitoring trends and data. So we're keen to rack your brains on the recovery of inbound tourism to Australia. Can you give us the 101 on what's happening right now? Yeah, 100%. So look, the global demand situation I think is really interesting at the moment. What we've got is a what I would sort of classify as a golden window at this kind of moment, right? Where there is still, savings rates are still relatively high, but they're expected to normalise. We've got demand kind of recovering strongly after Omicron. And we've got this kind of scenario now where that demand has started to kind of plateau slightly. So while it's kind of recovered well, we're in a moment where there's still significant kind of long haul hesitancy, I would say. So really for us, it's about how we get people more comfortable with getting on longer haul flights. And I think some of that will come from the kind of muscle memory of travel more broadly. But really what's impacting that at the moment is kind of a combination of two things, which is concerns about the pandemic, which have decreased, and concerns about personal financial situation, which have kind of increased more recently. And of course, Australia's you know, number one barrier has always been cost, but that's really a combination of time, distance and cost. And I would argue that time and cost are both derivative of distance. So really, I think the kind of big issue at the moment is distance. The counterpoint to that is that I think Australia, and I think especially Tasmania, are very well positioned to make the most of the demand and the yield that exists. So in terms of the high yield traveller or people who are less impacted or more insulated from those kind of uh, macroeconomic headwinds, those guys still want to travel, right? So really when we looked at, and I've just been in in the US um, talking at the um, marketplace over there, and particularly for US and Canada, what you see is that all of the drops in demand at the moment based on those kind of economic headwinds are really driven by the mass end of the market, not necessarily the premium end of the market. You know, so what Australia has to offer, what Tassie has to offer is what the world needs the moment in terms of nature, authenticity, reconnection, all those types of things of which the higher yielding 
proportion of the market is still prepared to pay for and, and travel for. So, yeah, while I think it's a bit of a mixed bag overall, I think that we're really well positioned to give the world what it needs in this moment. That's great to hear, Rob. <laughs> and I'm sure our listeners will love that. I mean, our tourism industry is a quietly proud one. Uh, we think we do it well down here. And I was going to ask you if the market thinks that too. And, and, and you've kind of clearly indicated that what we're feeling. It certainly feels like they did, certainly during COVID. Um, And let's be honest, we are an overseas destination. What sort of trends and sentiments are you seeing in regards to Tassie? Is Tassie quietly proud? Or is it... Is it it loudly proud? Is it proudly proud? I I think it's proudly proud. (laughs) I think it it should be proudly proud as well, right? And and loudly proud. You know, I think that... I I, I take what you mean, you know, I, I understand. But, you know, I think it's enormously clear that the Tasmanian offering is exactly in demand at the moment, right? It's just perfectly poised as a suite of products, high quality products that can demand an unfair kind of yield, you know, versus the competition. And that sort of played out in a domestic demand, which which we've seen obviously enormously strong through the kind of pandemic period, but also in terms of perceptions of quality from an international audience as well, right? So to the point I was making before, if the opportunity is going to be in the yield end of the market, Tassie in particular is is poised to kind of take advantage of that opportunity. And that's really, you know, we always talk about this combination of people, product and place, and it is really that kind of combination for Tassie that, that, that really sort of stands up. I think that there will be some constraints in the market. And obviously aviation is the one that's kind of, I, I've seen mentioned, you know, sort of several times today, and we're expecting that to kind of come back. I understand it takes time for the airlines to kind of get back up and running. So so that's kind of one potential kind of constraint. But I think in terms of the competitive positioning of Tasmania, it's enormously strong. That's great to hear as well. And I suppose it, it's important for us to keep an eye on the competition as well. In your view, what's your, which Australian markets are recovering strongest? And what are the key advantages that are supporting that recovery? Obviously, the states are enormously competitive within Australia. And I, and I completely understand that. And and all the states, you know, care huge, hugely about market share. You know, as the sort of national body, the thing that I care you know, above anything else is how are we competing versus some of the other great destinations out there, you know, in the world. So we've just done a a market partitioning, which has given us essentially who our main competitors are across all of our source markets. So we can now be very clear as to who we're competing against. Largely, people are choosing between Australia and another destination like New Zealand, obviously, is our our number one most direct kind of competitor, Uh, you know, Japan, Canada, Hawaii, France, these types of destinations. So really, the ones that I'm looking at is how we can convince the world's travellers to choose Australia over those other types of destinations. And that, that's our kind of role. So, you know, I think that New Zealand is is a fantastic competitor to Australia and also a companion to us as well. You know, if we can bring people into the region, that's obviously good for both of us. And we have, you know, similar uh, offerings. But yeah, those are sort of the main markets that, that, that we're watching out for because people are clearly making a choice between Australia and one of those other types of destinations uh, rather than the really big destinations like US and the UK and those other type of markets. Which international markets are coming to Australia now and who's expected to start coming or growing next? Australia, Australia is in an interesting position, right, because we are a high 
quality premium destination. We've had a yield strategy for, you know, over a decade now. And even the, the more kind of mass competitors you start to see, you know, like the Thailands, moving more towards that sort of yield approach. In terms of the markets that are coming back, it tends to be the kind of closer markets. So obviously your Singapore, your India, your Malaysia, these are the markets um, and, and New Zealand in terms of volume at the moment are the markets that are returning more quickly. And to my point before, you know, proximity is the thing that's sort of driving that. The markets that we really want to kind of stimulate is obviously those ones, but of course, some of the more long haul destinations that represent a greater yield. So it's a bit of a tightrope as to how we sort of generate that kind of short-term demand and get that into the country as quickly as possible while making sure that we are investing to be competitive in those longer haul, but, you know, more bulky yield markets. So I think it's a bit of a kind of a tightrope at the moment. But certainly those markets, you know, the Singapore and the Malaysia recovery are are fantastic at the moment. China was a really important inbound market um, pre-COVID. What is the outlook for China today and can we expect to return to pre-COVID levels? And if so, how far away do you think that is? Yeah, it's 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 a billion dollar question, right? It's, It's tricky for me to answer because realistically what's driving that is geopolitical. And it's very hard for me to understand or, or predict what those that geopolitical position will be in the future. The thing that I've got great comfort with is that the demand still exists within China, right? So you still see very high consideration, very high intention, um, and we've always had very high, proportionately, market share in China. So I still think that and also as well, if you look at the kind of potential or, or the predicted growth for China, it's enormous, right? So you can never really ignore the Chinese opportunity. When that comes back, I'm not 100% sure because I think that that will be geopolitically kind of driven, but I'm very comforted by the fact that there is still a huge amount of demand in China and Hong Kong. Yeah, that's great to hear. Have you noticed any new inbound markets post-COVID? And if so, why do you think these markets have grown? Yeah, this this is the other question really coming out, out of government at the moment. And the government's approach has obviously been around diversification. And diversification really means how do we, you know, de-risk China, I guess, in this kind of moment as it's looking like it's going to come back, you know, more slowly. By the way, when we're talking about China coming back more slowly, you know, we still fully expect it to open and we are still prepared for China to reopen as well in terms of, you know, having powder dry for that kind of moment. That's on the cards. The, the question is just kind of when. But in terms of other markets opening, you know, the ones that most often get talked around that are outside of TA's kind of core 15 markets are, you know, the Philippines and Vietnam and these types of markets. And I think they're appealing in that they're very close. Um, we've got strong ties and they're good kind of VFR and education markets. From a tourism point of view, the strategy that we're approaching at Tourism Australia is to essentially kind of diversify, but within our, our, our 15 markets, which is a, obviously a bastardisation of that word. But we really think that the opportunity for us exists in driving incremental yield from the markets where we already get, you know, considerable amounts of yield. So while those other markets could be um, great opportunities for state, individual kind of states where there are kind of great um, geographical kind of benefits or whatever it might be. As a national point of view, I guess, we really want to make sure that we're investing where we can see the greatest amount of growth for the industry and the economy. And that's really within our kind of core 15 markets. At the moment, we've got a, a grow strategy, which means that we want to invest to a level where we're competitive and can grow market share. You know, at the moment that's looking at kind of um, 11 markets within that 15. So a really good approach to drive incremental growth within the markets where we see the greatest potential at the moment outside of China being open at the moment. 
And with the current international travel market, how do you think Tasmanian tourism operators can best leverage those markets? I think the big challenge is, is being open to international. You know, we've been reliant on domestic for so long that we have a lot of muscle memory in the kind of domestic space and that's been great and it's obviously it's it's the lion's share of, of, of tourism at the moment. I think the big thing is being open to international and trying to, I guess, tool up in that space as well. You know, I think that the industry has lost, a, you know, a, a lot of great kind of people and a lot of experience through this kind of period. So there's not as much of that sort of muscle memory in actually selling to um, inbound audiences. I think the danger that we've got or the potential risk, and this is one thing that we've been really conscious of tracking since the beginning of the pandemic was the net outflow of money and tourists. We've always had a tourism deficit in that more Aussies travel and spend more outbound than inbound brings in. And you have seen that kind of gap between inbound and outbound actually expand through this period as Aussies are just more willing to kind of go out and it's harder to get kind of people in. So that deficit, I think, will start to kind of bite in the future if that's not sort of rectified. And that's why we at Tourism Australia have been enormously keen to get back and driving inbound demand as quickly as possible. And the states and and, and the RTOs are doing a great job of continuing to drive kind of domestic and keep people here. I suppose for operators, it's trying to make sure that you're open to that opportunity because it will come back and it is enormously kind of lucrative. We just need to make sure that we can get it into the country as quickly as possible. We've certainly seen operators um, uh, in Tasmania notice that international market coming back. It's small numbers at the moment, but um, those that have already engaged in that market are seeing those returns. Um, but being able to hang on to that domestic market as well, you know, understanding that they, in the last two years, have taught us to diversify that market and, and keep every opportunity um, on the boil, I suppose. And lastly, Rob, a bit of a passion question from me. Um, you ran the Restaurant Australia campaign strategy back in 2013, which one of, was one of my personal highlights. Down here in Tassie, culminated in a truly epic event showcasing our producers and food offering, which is one of our key brand pillars. Um, can you talk to us about the kind of ongoing impact of that campaign and how it helped to change the perception of food in Australia for the international markets? Yeah, passion point of, of mine as well. My nickname is The Human Labrador. So I love coming to Tassie for that very reason. And the food and wine is enormously important. As a driver of destination choice, it's depending on markets, it's up around three, right? And it kind of, it varies across markets. But it's one of the reasons that people travel. We still have an unfairly poor perception of food and wine in Australia. And I would say an even more unfairly perception of food and wine in Tasmania for international audiences. Our ranking is just kind of too low. You know, that's why it kind of makes sense for us to do a food and wine campaign or it did make sense for us to do a food and wine specific campaign. And we're going to continue to invest in food and wine as it's important and we do it so, so well here. You know, it's hard for us to kind of rapidly move up the rankings, but you do see Australia's perceptions as a percentage association of food and wine increased really dramatic over the last kind of five or six years and that's obviously crucially important from an overall kind of demand point of view you know and it's just continued to make people aware of, of of what's of what's on offer here, right? So we will never move away from that. One of the things, and I saw a great talk yesterday afternoon about about um, all good food you know, all, all good kind of tourism is sort of food tourism. And I thought that was really interesting because it's the exactly the right sentiment. 
people don't normally travel for just one pillar. They travel for multiple pillars. And that's why, for example, Japan is perceived as being relatively good value. Like Australia, it's, it's a premium destination. But they just have a very broad understanding of what's on offer there. And we want to keep doing that for Australia. We're already famous for our beaches. We're already famous for our, our, our wildlife. We want to make sure that people have a more multidimensional understanding of what's on offer here. And the big one for us to keep building is obviously food and mine. How do you think practically the tourism industry operators can get themselves as ready as possible for that international market and meet that opportunity? Yeah, absolutely. So I've just come back from LA where I was at Marketplace in the US and obviously here at the conference today. And I think that's exactly how you do it, right? Like Tourism Australia is always going to be trying to drive top of funnel demand to be converted by our partners, by industry, by commercial partners, whoever it's going to be. I think at that kind of operator level, it's making sure that you get together and you have all of those kind of cross-sell and on-sell opportunities um, at hand. And as I was saying before, really the tourism experience and the value that people get is, isn't just one thing. You know, it's always a, a, a combination of things. So really figuring out who else plays in your space and how you can take that demand and make the most of every kind of dollar spent within the industry and every visitor that comes here, I think that's where it's at. So coming to these types of events and getting getting together and understanding all the other buyers and sellers in the market is, is crucial. So the Big Seven, Rob, one of the initiatives that we've introduced to Talking Tourism is the Big Seven questions. Everyone is going to judge you on this more than anything else. Are you ready? 100%. <laughs> First of all, what's your favourite spot in Tassie and why? So I have been to Tassie. This is my third trip to Tassie. I'm coming back um, in February actually with my wife. My favourite place in Tassie so far is in Derby, which is – I went there and did some mountain biking, which was great. It's part of a familiar with Tourism Taz. And the reason it was so special to me is I saw my first ever platypus in the wild and that was um, – you know, as a nature lover and a patriot, that was just a, an enormously kind of special experience to be 38 years old and seeing my first platypus uh, was, was remarkable. And we did loads of great stuff in that trip, but that was extraordinary. That's great. Probably very commonplace for you guys who live here, but for me, that was something quite special. Look, um, they are. Uh, they're incredible creatures, though. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, you can understand why back in the day they, they thought they were made up to start with. But, yeah, it's an incredible experience Bonkers. seeing them. And my kids for the first time when they saw them, yeah, absolutely loved them. Yeah. So going a bit broader, what's mm -hmm. your favourite travel destination anywhere in the world? I think one of my favourite places to be is is in the mountains. So my, my two favourite mountains, and my wife's annoying a much better skier than I am, but we have a good time, is... The Rocky Mountains, I love it around Colorado. I think that's just incredible. I think those mountains are beautiful. I think the culture there is is wonderful and kind of weird and all those kind of good things. And and that's great. And also the Dolomites. I think the Dolomites in Italy are incredible if you want to ski, largely because the Italians don't like to really ski before about 10.30, so you can get a, a good couple of tracks in uh, before they've had their coffee. But I think, you know, those type of mountain regions are incredible. I would love to spend more time in some of the Nordics. I would love to go. I always wanted to go kayaking on some of the fjords. I'd love to do that, but that's something that I've, I've not got to yet. Brilliant. Um, so someone coming to Tasmania for the very first time in their lives asks you what's the absolute one thing they must experience while they're here. What do you tell them? I personally think, and one of the other things I've done here which was which just blew me away, is I interviewed Rob Pennicott on the front of one of his boats and we didn't get to do a full tour, um, but what we saw in two hours, um, we went down to Needle Rock, 
and that just blew me away. I mean, there was he had a biologist working on the boat. He was talking to us about the animals and the seagrasses and all these types of things. And just to see Tassie from the coastline and the richness that is there. And I've done a similar sort of tour in the Bay of Fires as well that I was I was absolutely blown away by. So I think you've got to come and you've got to see some of the amazing coastline. Yeah, great choice. Look, every weekend we're out there, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, you're walking the Overland Track for five days yep. um, with three other people. Yep. Anyone in the world, famous, not so famous, living or dead, who and why? Okay, so I'm, do- I'm not doing the Overland. I'm doing the Mariah Island, actually, in uh, February, which I'm enormously looking forward to. I have to say I have to take my wife. She's got two young kids. We've got two young kids and um, and she just needs that and she's enormously excited about that. So she's definitely coming. Um, I would love to go with Ernest Shackleton. He's just a personal hero of mine and he would also be quite handy if we got lost, which is very unlikely, but I think he's got the skills to help us out and I'd love to hear more about his story. And then just to keep things light, um, have a bit of music in the evening, I'd also love to go with Bob Marley as quite an extraordinary kind of cultural coming together, Ernest Shackleton and Bob Marley, I think that would be remarkable. That would be an interesting trip, that really would. Um, So when you're road tripping around Tassie, what are you listening to in the car? Look, following on from the Bob Marley kind of comment, it's probably not going to be something, I want to say something kind of uh, contemporary and cool, but that's just not who I am. So probably a lot of the same stuff that we listen to currently, which would be largely sort of dub and reggae, probably led by a bunch of kind of Kiwis like uh, Catch a Fire or Fat Freddy's Drop or something like that. But that's always good road tripping music. Um, and when you arrive at the destination, what's your tipple of choice? I absolutely love Tassie whiskey um, in almost all its varieties, but uh, probably Lark or if someone else is paying, probably Sullivan's Cove. <laughs> you guys paying? Am I paying? <laughs> uh, world's best single cast, single malt whiskey, twice uh, Sullivan's Cove. It's Ab- absolutely incredible. Absolutely and an delicious. industry that, you know, we are so proud of and is, is such a huge... Um, um, collaborator, and that's really um, a lot of the reason of their success is it, their collaboration. Yeah, one hundred percent. Every time I give a gift now to someone international, it's basically a bottle of luck. I just think it is fantastic. Tasmanian whiskey broadly is just incredible. Yeah. Love it. And the last big one, the big debate: uh, curried Tasmanian scallops, a culinary delight or a culinary crime? With your restaurant Australia hat on. <laughs> Look, I've got to be honest with you. I've never had it. And, and so what happened yesterday, I was in the conference down there, I was listening to Amanda talk about food and that was incredible and someone asked a question, we need to have like a list of where the best um, scallop pies are basically. And so I was like, listen, someone's got to, you know, people are kind of throwing up a bunch of plates and I'm like, that's fantastic and we will have one next time we come down. But I said, where is the best one in Launceston obviously? Like I want to go and have one tonight basically so I can answer this question. And they said, oh, t- unfortunately, Tinney's is shut down so there's not one really in Launceston at the moment. So that's a, a gap in the market. So I'll probably come down the next couple of weeks and set up a pie shop. Um, but, uh, yeah, very looking forward, very much looking forward to having one in the near future. So I'm really sorry about that. That's super embarrassing. Not at all. That's fantastic. Well, we really appreciate your time. So thank you for listening to today's episode of Talking Tourism. Remember to subscribe to hear more episodes as we release them every two weeks or so. Also remember to tell a friend or tourism colleague to check out our podcast. Talking Tourism is an initiative of the Tourism Institute Council of Tasmania and today's episode was brought to you with the support of our partner Tourism Australia. A big thanks also to Caleb Miller at Mac40, our audio specialist who produces these episodes. I'm your host Alex Arawa and we'll catch up next time.